0: Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at CandeoChurch.com. Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. Like Dalton said, we'll be in John 15 this morning. As you're turning there, I want you to think of uh, one of your favorite meals that you've ever had. Maybe his favorite meal, favorite drink, whatever it is. Like, you know that when you have that perfectly cut, they perfectly cooked steak, that really good glass of wine, don't you just eat it like a little more slowly? Like you cut it into smaller pieces. You get kind of annoyed when your kids ask for a bite because you're like, oh, this is going to be wasted on you, right? Like, lit- I, I kid you not, yesterday, yesterday, uh, my family and I drove to Des Moines because we wanted pizza. We wanted a deep dish pizza. We're like, we don't know where to get good deep dish pizza around here, but there happens to be Giordano's down in Des Moines, which is uh, originally in, from Chicago. And so we love Chicago pizza. So we drove two hours and nine minutes to get Giordano's pizza. I'm telling you what, I cut those pieces like so small, like perfectly put the Parmesan cheese on top and savored every bite, right? And its I got the large, there's just four of us, two adults, two kids, you don't need a large. I'm like, I'm not sharing my pizza with my kids, okay? You can have your own piece, that's fine. But you know, like for that thing that you really enjoy, there is no like gobbling, right? There's no guzzling. A really good glass of wine, you just sip it. There's no guzzling. There's just sipping. There's no snarfing. Is snarf a word? That's a word we use in our house. Like, don't snarf that down. Come on. Like, you're going to choke. There's no snarfing. There's only savoring what we have this morning in John 15 is like that. It's like one of those meals that you don't want to end. Now, just to be be totally upfront with you, uh, normally when I come up here to give a message, I come up with about eight or nine pages of notes, something like that. By the time that I got done, and was about to hit print on this message, I was rounding page 15. So, <laughs> so there was a lot that had to get cut out. So we're not, we're not keeping you here till lunch. But what I'm saying is that what we have here in John 15 is an absolute feast. So if you have your Bible open in John 15, I wanna invite you to pull up a seat to the table. We're gonna start in verse one. This is Jesus talking to his disciples Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, just pause right there. Now, what Jesus does here is he uses a common picture that everyone would have known. Like, this was a very, like, agrarian culture. Like, agriculture was at the, you know, the foundation. Most people would have have been cultivating crops or would have known someone who was a farmer. And it's even more likely at this point that Jesus is actually walking with his disciples because we saw in John chapter 14, at the very end of the chapter, he says, get up. Let's leave this place. And so, if you can just kind of have in your mind's eye, Jesus is is walking with his, his disciples. That we don't know this for sure, but it's very likely that he's walking with them. As they're walking, he's continuing to teach them. And as he's teaching them, he sees off in the distance a vineyard. And he says, I am the true vine. He doesn't just say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. Now, this was a particularly pointed statement. This isn't Jesus just like seeing something and going, oh, I think that'll make a nice analogy. No, Jesus is saying something very specific here in the first five words of what he says in John 15. Because many times in the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel that was referred to as God's vine. Like the people of Israel, the nation of Israel would, was God's vine or God's vineyard. We see that in the Old Testament. And so, The reality was that if you wanted to be connected with God, you needed to be connected to Israel. You needed to be connected to his people. Like there were were things that you had to go through, hoops you kind of had to jump through, that if you weren't an Israelite, but you wanted to be connected with the people of Israel, you had to do certain things in order to be considered part of the people of God and therefore be connected with God. But here's Jesus knowing that they had this picture in their mind, like Israel is the vine of God. He's saying, no, 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 I am the true vine. I am the true connection with God. See, it's, it's, it's not this place. Remember, remember the woman at the well when she like changes the subject on Jesus and she says, well, should we, uh, should we worship on this mountain or that mountain? Where's the place that we worship, Jesus? Where's the right place? Because if you worship in the right place, then you'll be connected with God. But remember what Jesus says. He says it's not on the, it won't be on that mountain or this mountain. Well, the true worshipers will be those who worship in spirit, we saw that last week, and in truth. See, what Jesus is saying here in these first five words it's, is that it's not a place or a nation that connects you with God, but it's a person. That if you want to be connected with God, you have to be connected with God's person. Now, I haven't met anyone in 2021 who thinks that if, you want, that if you want to be connected with God, you have to become a citizen of Israel. I've never met anyone like that. But I've met plenty of people who think that if you want to be good with God, then, then attending church is what makes you good. Then being raised in a Christian home, well, that, that's what makes me Good. Like, that, that's, that's like, that's like the, the very first line of the testimony. Like, like, like what, tell me your story. And it's like, well, I was raised in a Christian home. I met plenty of people who think that if, if you try really hard, if you live a moral life, if you associate with the right people, do the right things, then you're good with God. But what Jesus is saying here in the first five words of what he's saying in John 15 is that, hey, church, candeo is not your vine. Your family as great as they are, praise God, if you grew up in a Christian home, but your family is not the vine. Your wife is not the vine. You husbands who your wife is a little bit more into God than you are, and so you're like, well, okay, I'll just kind of appease her, and okay, that's why I'm here, and good for her, and I'll just kind of enjoy the benefits of that. Your wife is not your vine. Your baptism is not your vine. Your good works is not your vine. Some prayer that you prayed when you were five years old was not your vine. Jesus Christ is the true vine. And in just five, sentence, just five words, in one sentence, he's saying, you want to be good with God? You want to be connected with God? You have to be connected with me. But look at where he goes from here. Verse one, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit He removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Now, at this point in the message, uh, I I had the option of doing one of two things. Uh, The first option was to fake that I know anything about gardening, okay? Okay. That was, that was an option, right? Or was to call up my friend, Zach. So Zach is not only my friend, he's one of our elders at Kinnail, he's one of our non-staff elders. And so uh, we go through the messages as our elder team, uh, and we're looking three weeks out at these messages. And so Zach, as we were uh, about to talk about this message, he walks in with this shrub, and, and I gave you a look. Yeah, right? it's like, are you crazy? <laughs> I was like, Okay, here we go. And, I just saw him scanning the room for
1: the first exit. Yeah, you know, he just and wanted so, to get away from I was from like,
0: Zach's got a shrub and <laughs> and shears and Okay, whatever. So fast forward like ten minutes and Zach proceeds to like walk through what he thinks about like cause Zach's a farmer, right? And so he walks through with like how does he approach plants? when he's going to prune them, right? Well, because mm-hmm. I've seen your garden. Your garden is bigger than my like, actual yard. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> and so, uh, so I was like, you know, Zach, I can either pretend to know what I'm talking about or I'll just phone my friend and have him come up. So, Zach, what do you think about as you approach a plant, what do you, when you want to prune it, like, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you looking for? Like, mm-hmm. What are your end goals? So what I'm pr-
1: trying to do primarily is prevent disease in the foliage, and I'm trying to give the... Uh, tree a good shape, and I'm also trying to spur on new growth through cutting it. And So So you're getting
0: your your tree in shape. Yes. That's what it is, okay. All
1: right, so um, fungus is generally the disease I'm trying to prevent the most, and so fungus likes dark and wet surfaces to grow on. So what I want to do is I want to introduce a lot of light into the tree canopy, and so what I'll do is I'll cut this center lead out. And that allows more light to penetrate
0: all the leaf surfaces and all the bark surfaces. Okay, so that's the opposite. So here's what I do when I walk up to my garden to prune. I know you're supposed to prune, but I don't know anything about pruning. And so I just go, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right? <laughs> so when Zach was like, oh, you're actually making it so there's not a lot of shade, I was like, I never even yeah. thought of the sun when I was pruning. Like, that makes so much sense. Okay, so what else, what else are you doing?
1: So I'm learning to uh, increase the ability for the wind to blow through the tree, too, so when it rains, it dries out very quickly. <laughs> I'm learning all this stuff right now.
0: <laughs> you didn't say this on Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. This is great. Wind. Sun, wind. All right, keep going. So we have a nice dry plant that's not going to
1: stay wet and get moldy and, you know, get uh, prone to disease. Uh, The next thing I want to do is I want to uh, direct its future growth. And I can do this by selectively pruning branches so that I continue to grow upward and outward. So I'll take this one off. I'll dip this one off. So this branch will go off by itself and have its own little home over there. I'll take these off over here because these are eventually going to just get shaded out by the tree. Um, And you can actually do a fun thing with trees. You can cut them right before the last bud, and wherever that last bud is pointing is where the new growth is going to come out. Okay. So through cutting it, you can actually direct and mold the shape of the tree by selecting certain buds. If I were to pick this bud right before that, it would actually shoot off back into the center of the tree the Uh, opposite way I want it to go.
0: Obviously, right? (laughs) He just looked like, duh. (laughs) Okay, so so you said something too that I thought was really interesting as related to uh, pruning with... uh, the weight of future fruit in view.
1: So the other thing I'm doing here is I'm allowing the uh, tree to actually gain some uh, maturity and strength when I'm doing this. So it actually prevents uh, fruit growth for the first few years by doing this. But I'm thinking long-term. I have a perspective and I have a knowledge that the tree doesn't have. Mm -hmm. You know, Whenever I've pruned a tree, it's never said, oh, thank you, I see what you're going to be doing in the future with me. So this is a limb off of one of my pear trees. So if you want to feel how heavy that is, it's like a good 25, 30 pounds, right? Oh yeah. Uh Oh (laughs) oh, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So imagine imagine that branch being stuck on the end of this, you know, Uh, it would just bend over and eventually break. These are huge. Yes.
0: What do you feed your pear trees? (laughs) (laughs) So Zach's address, if you need pears, (laughs) Is 1327. No. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. So, yes, this pear tree or this
1: tree will continue to grow up and out. And so when it's actually mature, I'll continue to prune it and clip off little spits at the end. Okay. And that will actually... um, stimulate it to put out new growth at the end here. And new growth is more productive and will produce more fruit mm. than old growth. And it'll still try to send shoots up in the middle here. And I'll have to continue to like prune out and make sure that I have good sun penetration and wind uh, going through the tree. But yeah, that's what you do for the most part.
0: That's all you do. Awesome. Can we give Zach a hand here? This was great. I'm actually going to keep this. I'm going to keep this up here. Alright, so... Here's the deal. Don't miss the picture there. See, as Jesus is walking with his disciples, he says, I'm the vine, the true vine. My father is a gardener. He prunes those who are producing fruit to produce more fruit. Do you see what's happening? Is that it's actually because the plant is healthy that it's getting cut down. It's actually because the plant was like bearing fruit that it's getting cut back, that it's experiencing loss. Because even though like it's bearing fruit, there are still parts of it that aren't helpful, that that the gardener has a view long-term to go, "That, that doesn't look like a big deal now, but in the future, that's not gonna be helpful for bearing fruit. You see, there's a taking away of what isn't helpful, in, in, in order to make room for what is, which means that for some of you this morning, you need to hear that the difficulty that you're experiencing in your life right now, the taking away that you seem that you're experiencing in your li- in your life right now, the hard things that you're going through in your life right now, maybe. It's possible that that's a result of like some indwelling sin in your life that you're refusing to repent from, sure. But it could also be because you are being faithful, because you are bearing fruit, because you are growing in your faith. And that as you are growing, the good hand of the master gardener is coming up and he's removing things from your life that are unnecessary or would hinder your growth. And you go, why in the world is God like cutting me down? Why in the world? I thought that when I follow Jesus, that things would get better. I thought it was this kind of like transactional thing, right? Like, like, I'll read my Bible, I'll do these things and things are supposed to go well. Now, why in the world aren't things going well? Could it be that God is pruning you? Could it be that the difficulty you're experiencing in life right now is actually the careful hand of God pruning you into who you need to be? Could it be the chronic pain? They prayed for it to go away and it just won't go away. Could it be the relationship that ended or is going through tremendous brokenness right now? Could it be that your financial issues that those financial issues are actually God's good hand serving to remind you that your greatest treasure is not in your bank account, but is in Christ. Could it be that difficult coworker that you wish would just quit or get transferred? Is actually God's sovereign hand pruning you? See, consider how great the difference is between the knowledge of the plant and the knowledge of the gardener. Consider how great the difference is between Zach's knowledge and the plant between you and your tomatoes. How much smarter are you than your tomatoes? I would hope quite a bit. (laughs) Is it possible that the gap between what you think is best for your life and what God knows is best for your life is infinitely greater than the gap between you and your tomatoes? Could it be That while it feels like God is killing you, he is actually cultivating you. But check this out. This whole like pruning vine, like this metaphor here, there's another thing we should see this also means that growth as a disciple, isn't just possible. It's inevitable. Like it isn't just that you can grow in Christ. Like now that you are, you are in the vine, you are indwelled by the Spirit. It's not just that you have the potential for growth. But what we see here is that when you are in the vine, God will prune you for growth. That growth isn't just possible, it's inevitable. And the reason that a Christian will grow is because true believers, true disciples are connected to the vine, are united with Christ. Jordan talked a little bit about this last week, union with Christ. But what we get with this vine and branches metaphor is a picture that a branch is only truly connected to the vine if the life of the vine is, throwing, is, is flowing through it. You see, we don't see branches like, like trying to get what they need apart from the vine. Apart from the trunk, apart from the stem, like you don't see branches, like I, I don't trim my trees because I don't know how to prune them. And so like they get so long that they just kind of like droop almost all the way down to the ground, right? I don't see the end of that branch trying to like dig its way into the soil, like forget the, forget the, you know, the stump or whatever, like forget the, the, the vine, you could say. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it myself. I'm gonna get my water myself. I'm gonna get my nutrients myself. no the life of the vine. If a branch is truly connected to the vine, the life of the vine will flow through the branch. That's what verse 5 is. Look at verse 5. Once again, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in him produce as much fruit because you can do nothing without me. All the nutrients the branch needs, all the moisture the branch needs, all the, like the chemicals and the juices and like all that stuff that the branch needs to live and to flourish can only come from the vine. Total dependence. You say, what does it mean to remain in Christ? It means to be totally dependent on him for everything you need for life and godliness. And when that happens... When you are connected to the vine, growth will happen. See, growth is at the essence of the relationship between the branch and the vine. Because if the branch isn't producing fruit, if the branch isn't growing, then the reality is that it isn't truly joined to the vine. Like it might be joined cosmetically, but it won't be joined actually. So how can you tell if a branch is connected to the vine or not? Look for the fruit. And yes, Jesus isn't just talking about agriculture here. How do you know if you are a Christian or not? Is that not the great question? How do do I know? How do I know if I'm truly in Christ? Look to the fruit. Is there fruit in your life? Now, one question at this point that would be easy to have is, is Jesus saying that believers can lose their salvation? I mean, he does say in, in verse two every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean that I can be in Christ and then not in Christ? See, what we, what we get from the testimony of the New Testament and even, even in the book of John is that there is a category of people who look like they're believers but aren't actually believers. I, I, could show you, I could show you several examples. I'm just gonna show you one, John chapter two. What we saw was that there were people who, after Jesus had done these miracles, that they believed in him, but then it says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them since he knew them all. He wouldn't entrust himself to them. Even though, saw the miracles, we believe. Jesus says, I'm not with you. Now why? Why does he say that? It's because following Jesus for the show, following Jesus for the benefits, in their case, the miracles, is a kind of faith that Jesus doesn't believe. I mean, it looked like they were his disciples, right? Like they saw the miracles, they're following him around. You go, wow, they believe they're his disciples, They looked like they were his disciples. But there's a difference between associating with Jesus and abiding in Jesus. There's a difference between wanting Jesus for the benefits, but once those benefits run out, then I'm gone, and abiding in Jesus. There's a kind of faith that Jesus doesn't believe There are those who look like they're in Christ, but are eventually proven to not actually be connected to Him because a fruitless branch is ultimately a faithless branch. No fruit? Is there, is there no fruit in your life? Is the life of the vine not flowing through you in any discernible way, ever? No fruit? No faith. You might look like it. You might act like it. You might, you might come here and enjoy the benefits of being around those who are in the vine. But when you look like you're connected to the vine, you actually aren't. Because there isn't something happening in your life. So if the determining indicator of genuine faith as opposed to counterfeit faith is fruitfulness, then the next question is how do we produce fruit? Like, you go, okay, I hear that. Like, no fruit, no faith. I want to produce fruit. Like, how do I do that? Notice that the main emphasis, even though, even though producing fruit is incredibly important in the life of a believer, notice that the main emphasis here is not, in fact, producing fruit, but is remaining in Christ. You see that? And so Jesus' answer to, how do you produce fruit then if fruit-bearing is so crucial and fundamental to the relationship between the vine and the branch. How do you produce fruit? It says, remain in me. You see, you don't bear fruit by trying. You bear fruit, first and foremost, by remaining. Some of your translations might say abiding. By remaining in Christ. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to remain in Christ, to abide in Christ? We've said this before a little bit, but abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ is total dependence on him. And what is the greatest indicator that you are depending on Christ? The greatest indicator of dependence is obedience. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. You see, true dependence must result in obedience. Or you could say it this way. To remain in Christ is to obey Christ. The most natural and obvious sign of depending on Jesus as the true vine, as your source of life, the most natural and obvious sign that you are depending on the vine is that you submit to him as your highest authority. It's you saying that all that, I, all that I have, all that I need, all that I need for life and flourishing will come from Jesus Christ. It won't come from what I think is best for my life. It won't come from what, from what the culture is doing and what will, you know, what will make me you know, good before other people. It comes from what Jesus himself says. And I will submit to that. You see, I think sometimes like abiding language, remaining language, sometimes it can get, it can just, it can become so like mystical vague, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just abiding in Christ, man. Maybe you don't talk to people who talk like that. I do (laughs) like, I'm just trying to, I'm just abiding, you know, and in the picture that you get, is just someone just kind of sitting on a couch with their coffee, just like, I'm just going to stare at Jesus. It's like, dude, are you obeying him? If you aren't obeying him, you aren't abiding in him. It's kind of like um, remaining in Christ is like when you go for a walk with a young child, right? Like what you're doing is that you're not just standing in the street staring at each other like, oh, we're just enjoying one another's presence. We're abiding in each other. It's like, no, we're going somewhere. Like I'm going somewhere with my kids and what I do is I say, hey, Judah, get right by my side. I want you close. I want you holding my hand because I know that if you don't remain with me, if you're not right next to me, that danger is in your path as you go out into the street. So remain, walk with me and remain close by me. Hold my hand. Be with me. Because that is, in fact, the safest place. I know it's really interesting what's happening in the yard across the street. I know that. But I also know that there's a truck coming. So remain with me. Remaining in Christ is the tangible, hand-holding kind of dependence and submission to his good authority in your life. And there's no way that you can obey Christ without knowing what he has said. Look at verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. And my words remain in you. You can't do. What Jesus calls you to do, you can't be who Jesus calls you to be if you don't know what Jesus has said. You see, there's a difference between reading the word of God, the scriptures that we have. Jesus is the word incarnated. Your Bible is the word inscripturated. So there's a difference between reading your Bible for like some inspirational quote, like that would, that would work really well on a mug, or this will really just kind of, you know, be the, be the thing that I hold on to, you know, that I'll try to remember. There's a difference between reading the Bible for inspiration and reading it so that his word will be implanted deep within our hearts so we can actually know the mind of God and know what he says and commune with him and follow him in active, submissive obedience. According to a Barna study, this year, 70% of people who claim to be Christians only read their Bible once a month or less for themselves. A Christian, you can't abide in Christ. You can't remain in Christ without his words remaining in you, abiding in you. And how many times have I talked to people who complain about, about oh, it just it just doesn't feel like, it feels like God is so far away. All while refusing to be saturated by the word. He's saying, You want to abide in me, you want to remain in me, get my words abiding in you. And maybe for some of you at this point, you say, like, obedience, submission, like reading my Bible. That sounds like legalism. That's just a bunch of legalism. Like, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything for God to love me. I don't have to do anything to be loved by Him. I don't have to do anything to follow Him. That just sounds like legalism. What a downer, Jake. Why, why would you go that direction? I go, Man, the call to obey and submit to and have his words abide in us as we remain in him is not legalism. It's, it's the same thing as like a coach calling his player saying, I've prepared a feast for you. You want to win the game? You want to grow? You want to be strong and healthy? Do you want to participate in a real active way? Do you want to be a champion in this game? Eat the feast and then going, nah, no, thanks. I'm going to go to the candy store. The candy store still exists. I don't know. If they do tell me where it's at. <laughs> like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to eat everything at all my meals at scratch, just cupcakes. You know what coach you, you tell me to eat these meals. That's legalism. He goes, are you kidding me? I want you to flourish. I want you to grow. I want you to be strong and healthy. I don't want you to die. If you eat scratch every day for every meal, you will die. Like, I don't want you to die. I want you to have joy. This this is all for joy. Look at verse 11. I have told you these things so that... My joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Remain in me. What does it mean to remain? It means to obey. How do I know how to obey? His words abide in me. Get in his word. All of this for your joy. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean, like, you start reading your Bible, things are going to go great. You start obeying Christ, things are going to go great. It, in Hebrews 12 says that, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Like, there is suffering at times in obedience, but it is not a fruitless obedience. It is not a begrudging obedience. It's not for the sake of duty, but for the sake of delight, Submission and obedience to Christ leads to complete joy because it's only the vine that truly knows what is good for the branches. It's only the vine that knows what the branches need to flourish, what the branches need to be healthy. So you want to grow as a Christian? Remain in Christ. You want the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's what this fruit is. Like, what is the fruit that is to be displayed in the life of a Christian who's connected to the vine? I think it's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. How do those things flourish in your life? Remain in Christ, be saturated in the scriptures, and walk in obedience joyfully. But make no mistake. Jesus does say that any branch that does not bear fruit, the Father will cut off and throw into the fire. Which means that as we talk about bearing fruit, what's at stake is not just your joy. What's at stake is not just your growth, but ultimately in the end, what's at stake is your eternity. That if you don't remain in Christ, you will not bear fruit and in not bearing fruit, you will prove to have not been a true disciple of Christ. You see, unless you can see a growing cultivation of the fruit of the spirit in your life, you can't be sure you're a Christian. Unless you can see a growing cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you can't be sure that you're a Christian. Now, let me be clear. Little fruit in your life does not automatically mean that you aren't a Christian. Because we Iowans know, right, that there are seasons that there are times, that there are droughts, that there are derechos that just kind of like blow through and knock everything down. And you're like, I don't, we'll see. Will that come back up? We know that winters can be harsh and long, but we also know that with the times, with the seasons, that eventually spring will come. Eventually derechos will pass. And so for some of you, you haven't seen a lot of fruit lately. You've been in a dry season. You've been in a drought. Maybe you're in a winter season of the soul. Maybe your depression has just knocked you down. And you're like, I don't see any fruit. Am I even in the vine? Maybe your chronic illness, your chronic pain has just knocked you down. Maybe, maybe the brokenness of your relationships is just the brokenness of this world. You're just in this dry, dark state. It seems like you, haven't, you don't remember a sunny day in a long time. Can I just encourage you, if that's you, don't lose hope. Don't give up cling to Christ, like remain in Christ, continue to be watered by his word. Like even though, man, even though you, when you open your Bible, you're like, nothing's happening. Like I don't feel anything. I I don't understand what I'm reading. Like whatever I think is supposed to happen isn't happening. I say keep being saturated in his word. Like keep watering that acorn that is within. Have you ever watered an acorn? It takes months before you see something just sprout up through the ground. But you're watering the whole time, you're going, nothing's happening, this is stupid. Like, nothing, nothing, water, 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 water. Oh, something's happening, something's happening. Maybe you can't see it, something's happening. Maybe you don't feel it, something's happening. Spring will come, the sun will come out, the storm will pass. Remain in Christ and trust that as you remain, that he will bear fruit in your life. Because bearing fruit by remaining in Christ isn't just possible, it's inevitable. Now, on the other hand, we're almost done. On the other hand, there are some of you whose lack of growth, whose lack of fruit isn't because you're in a season, but it's actually because you aren't in the vine. You might be in church, but you aren't in Christ. You might be around Christians, but you aren't in Christ. You might be associated with the things of God, but you aren't abiding in the son of God. If that's you, say, how do I get in the vine? I say, believe in Jesus this morning. Trust in Jesus this morning. You say, what does that mean? What does it mean? What does it mean to trust him? It it means you saying that I've, I've been trusting in myself to try to make myself good before God. And I'm done trusting in myself and I trust in him and in what he has done. See, believing in Jesus means that you respond to God's grace toward you in Christ. And when that happens, something supernatural happens where your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. And like a branch that is grafted in to the true vine, you are united with Christ and his life will begin pulsating through you. And as the branch to the vine, you submit to him, you depend on him, you obey him, and you receive from him what he gives for your joy and for his glory. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are the vine, and we are the branches. We can do nothing apart from you. Jesus, everything we have, we have because we've received it from you. We look to you. We depend on you. Heavenly Father, we submit to your pruning in our lives. Knowing that you cut and take away, not to kill us, but to cultivate us. We pray that in the loss, that in the cultivating, that in the taking away, that we would not lose heart. That in the winter seasons of our soul that we would not give up because we know that your thoughts are not our thoughts, your ways are not our ways. You know from the beginning to the end. We trust in you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that as we abide in Christ, that you would do the supernatural work in our heart, a supernatural work in our lives, that we would be conformed into the image of Christ and that we would bear fruit in our lives. Our spirit move in us, move through us so that the glory of God would be shown far and wide and that the name of Jesus would be lifted high. We pray this in his name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.